0: If you have a copy of God's Word you can turn to Galatians chapter 3 or the scripture will be on the screen beginning in verse 15 Galatians chapter 3 Paul continues this conversation of receiving the promised spirit through faith and then he says in verse 15 to give a human example brothers even with a man-made covenant no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring It does not say into offsprings referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is christ this is what i mean the law which came 430 years afterwards after the promise does not annul change cancel a covenant previously ratified by god so as to make the promise void for if the inheritance if the promise comes by the law It no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the, prison by, or so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Father, Father, we've sought to do our best with these rhythms of grace in the first 30 minutes of this service to prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever work is still left in our hearts, would you do it by a work of grace even now? Give us eyes to see the glory and beauty and truth of Scripture. Give us hearts to love that which we see. CHANGE US, ENCOURAGE US, STRENGTHEN US, BUILD US UP TODAY, WE PRAY, FOR THE SAKE OF YOUR GLORY AND FOR THE SAKE OF OUR JOY AND FOR THE SAKE OF OUR FRUITFULNESS TO THAT WHICH YOU'VE CALLED US TO IN THIS WORLD, WE PRAY IN JESUS' NAME, AMEN. WE'VE BEEN WORKING THROUGH THIS LETTER THAT PAUL WROTE TO THOSE IN GALATIA, THE CHURCH IS THERE, AND IF YOU'VE BEEN WITH US, MAYBE YOU REMEMBER THAT EARLY ON, Paul is seeking to address an issue in these churches. There's a danger, and the danger is that uh, which he opposed Peter to his face in Jerusalem about. They've been preaching this gospel received from Jesus himself, that you are united to God, you are brought into right relationship with God, by grace, through faith, and not of your works. And so now what you have, though, is a lot of Jews who lived according to the law, which was their guide and their guardian until Christ, as Paul says here in this passage, and they're trying to like flesh out then what it means to still kind of keep the law. Does the law still matter? Seemingly, that which Paul and Peter and these other apostles are preaching seems to contradict that which they grew up learning and understanding and knowing. And so they have this kind of problem We're like, well, maybe maybe it is by grace through faith. Jesus died for our sins. We get, the, we get the whole point of sacrifice because even the Jews would have to, you know, bring animals and sacrifices before God to cover their sins momentarily and so they can maybe process the whole sacrifice of Jesus but they're adding on to this saved by grace through faith by meaning yeah and then you also have to keep the law you also need to be circumcised you also need to you know do these things with these days and these things to these people and so Paul continues to push back on this and say no no, no. that is not actually the story of the Old Testament and so he takes us back to 2000 BC He brings up a man named Abram, who later God would call Abraham, and then moves on to Moses who lived some centuries later. And if you know the story, what happened is God called Abram out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. So Abram was not a believer. There was no Israel. There was no promise yet given at this point. Abram was an idol worshiper like most of the people who walked the earth. He did not have a relationship with God, and God plucks him out of this land and gives him a promise. And the promise he gives Abram is that Abram would have a family, but actually his offspring would be innumerable. And he's going to give his family a promised land. And actually in Abram, out of his lineage, out of his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Pastor Mike last week talked about the comprehensive blessing to the whole world, that which God gave to Abraham. These promises were actually then confirmed through Abraham's son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob. But Jacob died outside of the promised land that God had promised them in Egyptian exile when a famine drove he and his family to Egypt. And if you know the story, Jacob's 12 sons also died in Egypt too. And so then centuries passed and there was this period of 430 years where the family ultimately of Abraham was living in exile. And then finally God raises up a man named Moses and through Moses delivers the Israelites from slavery and then gives them the law at Mount Sinai. So that's kind of the story from the promise all the way to the law. Now, typically, the Jews aren't like crazy here. They're kind of like, hey, you know, if somebody like gives you something and then that same person gives you something later, it's kind of meant to like add on to that or change it a little bit or adapt. And so don't you see, Paul, God gave people the promise, but they were so messed up. So he had to fix the messed upness. And so he gives them the law so they could fix it up. And that's then how they receive the promise. That's what's happening here. The Judaizers in Galatia, like many Christians today, were saying and believing that if you want the blessing, if you want the promise of Abraham, you got to go to the law to get it. you got to do this. you got to do that. And you can't do this, and you definitely can't do that. And so Paul's whole argument, as we've seen, is actually, hey, we don't receive the promise by the law. We receive the promise by faith in Galatians chapter 5 verse 3 he's going to say in just a couple chapters he's going to remind these people that to every man who accepts circumcision or really any part of the law he's now obligated to keep the whole law that's the point in chapter or chapter 3 last week verses 10 through 14 look at verses 10 through 14 all who rely on works of the law are under a curse here's why it's written cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things say all things that are written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, if you're going to go to the law to receive the promise, you better be able to keep the whole law. Now, how good does anybody in here feel about that? Not liking that. And Paul's basically like, why would you want that? And so he calls them foolish and bewitched at the beginning of chapter 3. Verse 11 of chapter 3, it's evident no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Verse 13, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so what I want to do this morning is a couple things. First thing is I want to talk a little bit about how Paul deals with the differences and the purposes and our relationship really with both the law and the promise. That's actually going to be really like a part one. A big part of that will be in Sermon Plus this coming Tuesday, maybe a little bit next week with Pastor Mike. But I want to talk a little bit about how Paul deals the relationship between the law and the promise. And then I want to get quickly to what it means to receive the promise. How do we live that out? How does a life of faith, what does it actually look like? How do we have assurance and confidence that we've received the promise and are living according to it? So the Lord help us. Let's start with first the differences between the promise and the law. Paul does want the people here in Galatia, and and the Lord wants us today to know the difference. There is a difference. What's the purpose of each? What does each produce? What is our relationship with each of them to be? And Paul points us to God's promise to Abraham so that we can see the biggest difference. Receiving the inheritance, the blessing of God, can only come through the promise. That's the biggest difference, which we just spent some time talking about. It's free. It's a gift. It's grace. There's no works to do. There's no laws to obey. There's no merit to establish. There's no conditions to fulfill. God simply saves sinners who are undeserving of his salvation. Amen? And this promise then reveals how the whole world is going to be blessed that God gave to Abraham. And so. Consider a few differences. If you go to Genesis and the story of Abraham and God making these promises, you're going to see these words over and over. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. You go to the law and the Ten Commandments, and you're going to hear the Lord say, You shall, you shall, you shall. Another difference the promise given to Abraham actually sets forth God's redemptive plan, it shows his grace. It shows his initiative, but the law sets forth man's duty, man's work, man's responsibility. Another difference, the promise we see in Scripture must simply be believed, where the law must be obeyed. What's interesting about the law is that God's law calls for righteousness, but it can't create it. It's the basic weakness of the law, and you know this, you feel this. The law cannot create within us the desire to do the very thing it demands for us to do. The law, as Paul says here in our text today, cannot give life. Think about it. We set rules in our home. We set rules in our workplaces, our communities, our countries. But at the end of the day, we realize that these rules don't create the obedience they command. People still break the rules. Rules are like that. They can. Be helpful in guiding behavior but they don't create behavior any parent knows that very very well my parents definitely do Christianity thank God is about the promise not the law and yet Paul is affirming what the Judaizers what the Jews are saying they're like yeah but God created both God gave the promise but God also gave the law it's not a different God here and so they ask a question And it's a good question, why then the law, Paul? What was the point then? If it's all about the promise, then why didn't we just stick with the promise? Why even bring the law into discussion? And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the function of the law was not to bestow salvation, but to convince men of their need for it. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, Paul says, I would not have known sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, our text today, Paul says, the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Meaning this, the law was given in order that we would look at the law and then look to Christ, Abraham's ultimate seed, as the person through whom the law would be fulfilled and then our transgressions of the law would be forgiven. There's this powerful quote uh, by Andrew Jukes, who says this, "Satan would have us to prove ourselves holy by the law, which God gave to prove us sinners." Paul says here in the text that' we're, you know the scriptures, the law imprison us under the law. What does that mean? It makes us aware that we are separated from God, that we have sinned, we've committed sin, and so the devil then wants to come and use, and misuse the law which God gave to make you go, here's how you prove yourself to be a Christian. And actually, that's not God's purpose for the law. God gave us the law to prove us to be sinners. The law illumined God's promise to us and actually then made the promise indispensable. If you understand the law in the way that God gave it to us, you would then go, oh, I desperately need the promise. (laughs) It's kind of the whole point. It's to show us how desperately we need the promise that God gave to Abraham. So promise is to be received by faith. The law is actually meant to show us our need for a savior, the only one who fulfilled the law and can save us, forgive us from our sin. But the real purpose here, in fact, Pastor Mike and I were joking this week, should we, should we rush and get to you know, how we engage with the law next week, or should we wait 430 years like God did? He's like, maybe we could wait like 40, 43 days. <laughs> we're at least going to spend the next like 43 seconds only talking about the promise. Today's focus is on the promise, not the law. And so there's a lot of questions. You know, one of the questions I wrote down to talk about even in Sermon Plus later this week is like, well, what do you do in Psalm 119 where it says the law of, you know, the word of God gives me life, the law of the Lord gives me life? If Paul's saying here in Galatians 3, it cannot give me life, and Psalm 119 says it does give me life, how do you reconcile that? Tune into Sermon Plus a little later this week. Not the point of the day. I want to talk now, though, what it means to live by faith, receiving the promise of God. And so two things I want to encourage you with today. The first is that receiving the promise is to live by the Spirit, not the law. It's, it's going to be a huge you know, point for Paul in the next two chapters. If you look at verse 24 in Galatians 3, Paul says the law was our guardian until Christ came. And then in verse 22, it says that this law, this guardian, guardian actually imprisoned us. Meaning it declared us guilty. It pointed us to our need for a Savior. And then, now that Jesus has come, though, we're no longer under the law. In fact, if you go to chapter 4 and look at verses 6 through 7, Paul's going to say we were actually redeemed from this imprisonment under the law by Christ, and we now live out this freedom in Christ through the Spirit. And if you go to the end of chapter 4 and verse 29, Paul likens those who are children of the promised children of Abraham as being born according to the Spirit. He's saying, you want to know if you are a child of Abraham and you've received the promise that it was for you? Do you have the Spirit? It's the new guide and law which we live by. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that this law is written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It's not on tablets of stone anymore, but on tablets of human hearts. And if you go back to our text today in verse 21 you'll notice that it tells us that the law given through Moses could not give us life, that which the Spirit can do. 2 Corinthians 3, the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. It's all throughout Paul's letter. If you go to Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says that in Christ we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, which we were imprisoned to, so that we serve, we live, we act in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Perhaps there's There's no greater place in Scripture to uh, understand kind of what Paul means by this than Romans chapter 8. Consider these words in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer guilty under the law. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, because God has done what the law weakened by flesh, us, could not do, could never do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin. We're no longer condemned now. Sin is condemned in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's beautiful, isn't it? So I was thinking... What does that actually look like? I think that's a good question. It's, it's one thing to stand in here and interact with Scripture, and you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I see this in this letter of Paul. I see it in this letter of Paul. The Spirit, you know, life, freedom, not under condemnation. But, you know, how do I, like, live that out? What's an example of what that looks like in my daily life? What, what's the difference between the Spirit being my guide and the law being my guide? How do I know I'm living in the Spirit and not seeking to live according to the law, like in practice? How do I actually experience the promises of God in my life if it isn't through the law? And what you see over and over in Scripture is that we experience the promises of God and we live them out by faith by experiencing the presence of God. It's actually where Paul's going to be going later in Galatians. And so let me give you an example of what I mean. Thursdays in the Aubrey household are daddy days. It's a, it's a very exciting time. My wife has reminded me that I have to be careful because... On the days that I work, she's the one who has to say no, 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 no. And then on Thursdays, it's like anything goes. It's a whole, a whole bunch of yeses. And she's like, don't pin them against me. And so I, I try to do my best to say no a few times that day. Or if we do something fun, be like, this was Mommy's idea. Isn't she great? <laughs> but daddy days are, you know, Sundays are my favorite day. Outside of Sundays, no offense to those wonderful people I work with during the week. Thursdays are my favorite day. Abby gets a little extra rest. We do pancakes, which I'm terrible at making pancakes, but I'm getting better. And we do sausage and bacon, and we have a wonderful day in the Aubrey household. Several months ago, uh, Abby was getting some rest, or she was working or something, who knows. And it's, it's Mommy Day, too. That's, that's what Thursday is. And so Daddy took the two kids. I'm not talking about myself in the third person anymore. Sorry, I'm Dave. I took my two kids to this, this fun park up in uh, Smyrna. Expo, I think it's called. And there's like, it's like a ju- inside jungle gym and they can slide the slides and things like that. And it's a lot of fun. So we go there my kids uh, loved it so much. They call it the place where you have to wear your socks. You have to keep your socks on. And so we leave and for months they've been going, can we go back to the place where you have to keep your socks on? And it just hasn't worked out. And so here we had Daddy do this last Thursday. And again, they asked, can we go to the place you know, where you have to keep your socks on? And we're like, there's, there's, a, there's actually a, a place where you have to keep your socks on that's closer to us. Right, they're in Rodney Village, the fun park, and so we go over uh, to the fun park here in Dover, and I walk in, and it's a wonderful experience. My kids are having so much fun, but we walk in, and one of the things, I, one of the first things I noticed is, in like, it's on a huge plaque, a huge list of rules. It's like, welcome, kids, don't do any of these things. Hope you have a good time. Which, by the way, is honestly how sometimes it feels like with Christianity. WELCOME TO THE PARTY, WELCOME TO THE FAMILY OF GOD. IT'S GOING TO BE AMAZING. DON'T DO ANY OF THESE THINGS. ENJOY YOURSELF. SO I WALK IN. There's, IT'S LIKE HUGE. AND IT'S ALL OVER. IT'S OVER THE WHOLE BUILDING, ALL THE PLACE. YOU SEE THESE RULES LISTED EVERYWHERE. NOW, AS A PARENT, I UNDERSTAND AND I'M THANKFUL FOR THESE RULES. I UNDERSTAND THAT THESE RULES ARE ULTIMATELY FOR THE SAFETY AND ULTIMATELY THE JOY OF MY CHILDREN. You know, they wanted the place to stay clean and things to keep working. They want the kids to avoid becoming injured or any kind of harm coming to them. They want the experience to be very fulfilling and happy for the kids. Now, Charlotte and Emerson could not read these rules, let alone fully understand them. Some things probably wouldn't even make sense to them. And even the things that would make sense to them would probably end up with a two minute conversation of me saying over and over because, when they would say, why, but why, but why, but why? It'd be hard to explain. But here's the scoop, what's amazing is that my kids did a pretty good job following the rules. It's not because I have amazing kids, although I do have amazing kids. They did a good job following the rules. They slipped up here and there, but there was no serious injury or harm, and they really, really enjoyed themselves. And you wanna know why they obeyed the rules and had such a good time? Because I walked with them the whole time. I KEPT THEM SAFE. I OFTENTIMES REMOVED OBSTACLES FROM IN FRONT OF THEM. I WATCHED OVER THEM. I HELPED THEM GET UP. I HELPED THEM GET DOWN. I HELPED THEM CLIMB. I HELPED THEM SLIDE. I NEVER TOOK MY EYES OFF MY KIDS. YOU SEE, AS THE GUARDIAN OF MY CHILDREN, THE ONLY WAY THAT MY KIDS ARE GOING TO STAY ALIVE RIGHT NOW, AND I MEAN THAT SERIOUSLY, NOT AS AN EXAGGERATION, THE ONLY WAY MY KIDS ARE GOING TO STAY ALIVE RIGHT NOW IS IF I DON'T STOP Taking care of them. This is what the Spirit of God does for us. It's the promise He's made for us. It's like we walk into Christianity and we hear all these rules, or we grow up hearing all these rules. This is what God wants to do, this is what God wants to do. You better not do this, you better not do that. And then we trip and we fall and we're enslaved and we lack freedom and we, we feel like we've got to do all these things to earn favor. But the, my kids, I mean, out of great love that I had for my children, I simply didn't want to leave their side. And it was, it was my heart and my affection for my kids that drew me to them and their safety. Here's what's amazing too. Charlotte and Emerson, I'm pretty sure, didn't think about the rules that were posted in that place once. I don't think they ever thought about the rules, but they were keeping them. Isn't it amazing that my kids could basically not think about the rules once and yet still obey them? You want to know why? They were looking at their father, not the rules. The rules posted on the wall had no power to walk out with my kids and keep them safe or give them joy. Only dad could do that. And this is what Paul means in Galatians 5.18, that if you are led by the Spirit, if the Spirit is with you, you're not under the law. There's this freedom. Now here's what's amazing. My kids also looked at me often, would ask me questions, or kind of from afar be like, can I do this? Can I not do that? They wanted to know if things were safe or if it was okay for them to jump on this or go there or do this. They lived out their freedom and experienced joy by being dependent on me. As Paul says in Galatians 5, they were seeking to keep in step with me. They trusted me completely. There was no worry. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. Just trust and joy. This is a little bit what it means to receive the promise by living by the Spirit and not the law. We can have a tendency to flesh out our living in this world by looking to the rules. What am I supposed to do? Rather than experiencing the presence of Jesus with us. And the Spirit will convict our hearts. We're going to bump up against things. We're going to get a little injured. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be hindrances. But our Father is with us. The care of the Spirit is with us. He's loving us. He's showing us affection by keeping us safe, caring for us, making sure that we don't ultimately fall into serious harm or danger. And then we have a tremendous amount of freedom. So we receive first the promise by living by the Spirit, not the law. Secondly, we receive the promise... Or rather, receiving the promise is based not primarily on my faith, but the faithfulness of Jesus. Look at verse twenty-two for me, and it seems a little redundant. It says, "The Scripture imprisoned everything under sin." Here's the redundancy: so that the promise by faith in Jesus, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Those last two phrases seem to be saying the same thing. Now. The Greek gives us a a much better understanding. The word faith there in Greek is in the genitive case, which in the Greek is most commonly used to express possession. In other words, the term containing that ending, the genitive case, possesses the word it's then going to describe, which would also be in the genitive. So here in this text, faith, Jesus, and Christ are all in the genitive. And so the English translation is not giving us a clear picture of what Paul's actually saying. As I mentioned, as it reads, it seems redundant. Paul is saying something far greater than telling us, hey, the promise is given to people who seemingly muster up faith. In the original language, it reads more like this. In order that the promise which comes out of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ would be given to those who believe. Meaning the emphasis is actually on Jesus' faithfulness, not our faith. If you think back to Abraham, he did nothing to receive the promise. It wasn't his faith in Ur that made God go, I'm going to be faithful to this guy. Paul is saying the promise is given to us not based first on our faith, but by the faithfulness of Jesus. This is how the promise started. And so Paul is pointing the Galatians back to Abraham on perfect because in the very, this is why it's so good to know the story of the Bible. The beginning of this promise that God makes to us with Abram actually points to this. The faithfulness of God and not Abram. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, we see something amazing about the very beginning of this covenant that God makes with Abraham. Abram goes to God and asks this question, which many people I'm sure have asked and maybe are even asking today in this room. God, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of the promised blessing? You know, maybe, maybe you'd wrote it today like this. How do I know that your promise is for me? How do I have assurance that I'm going to make it to the end? How do I know I'm going to get the inheritance? And God answers Abraham and says this. Go get a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. So if you want to know today... That you're, I'm just kidding. Thank you, velvet. That would have been super awkward if nobody got it. You do not need to go get a goat, a cow, or a pigeon, or a dove, or a ram. Abram actually knew what to do with these because though it seems strange to us, in Abraham's day, this was the way a covenant was signed. He went, he got these animals, he cut them in two and arranged the halves on opposite side. What happened is each covenant maker Each person who was making a promise to the the other would pass between the halves of the animals. And essentially what this act was representing is this. You're saying to the person you're going into covenant with, the person you're making a promise to, if I break this agreement, may I be cut up and cut off. May I deserve to die just like these animals. It's a vivid image of the seriousness of a covenant that comes with a cost if you don't keep it. But here's what's astonishing about the covenant that we see in Genesis 15 between God and Abram. Abram never walked between the halves of the animals. Verse 12 says that Abram fell into a deep sleep and the only thing that passed through the halves of the animals was a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, which we see that strange fire in Genesis was God on the day that he made a covenant with Abram. Do you see the connection here? Our receiving of the promise is not primarily based on our faith, but the faithfulness of Jesus. God made a covenant with us that was based, the assurance of it is based on his faithfulness, not ours. He walked through the halves of the animals to seal the promise. And when we all broke the promise to him by breaking his law, instead of us dying, Jesus died for us to keep keeping his promise to us. Christ Jesus died in order to deal with our every sin and every transgression we've committed against God's law and his will for our life. And more than that, the story goes on and says that Jesus was raised from the dead and now ushers in this promise to us. We experience it through the Spirit who, unlike the law, gives us life. And so now as we live by the Spirit and not by the law, we receive that which the law could never do. And so every sinner who trusts in Christ crucified for salvation, apart from any merit or good works, receives the blessing of Abraham to be in right relationship with God and receive eternal life with him. It's amazing. And don't miss one of the most important portions of this passage. Look again at verse 16 where Paul clarifies the recipient of God's promise to Abraham. In verse 16, it says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring who is Christ. The, pro- the recipient of the promise isn't Israel, it's not even the church. According to this passage, the true recipient of God's promise to Abraham is Jesus. If you're wondering what that means, we have a helpful quote I hear from Todd Wilson who says, here then is the, the key point about God's promises. Christ Jesus is the one true beneficiary of all God's promises. God has given everything to Christ. And so every blessing God wants to give to the world, including you and me, has already been given to Jesus. Therefore, every blessing we seek, every good thing in the world, is to be found in Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. In other words, how do we share in these promises BY COMING TO CHRIST AND BEING FOUND IN HIM. AT THE END OF CHAPTER 3 IN VERSES 26-29 to 29, IT SAYS, IN CHRIST JESUS YOU ARE ALL SONS OF GOD THROUGH FAITH. IF YOU ARE BAPTIZED INTO CHRIST, YOU'VE PUT ON CHRIST. AND IN VERSE 29 IT SAYS, IF YOU'RE CHRIST'S, IF YOU BELONG TO JESUS, HE WHO RECEIVED THE PROMISE, THEN YOU ARE ABRAHAM'S OFFSPRING AND YOU ARE AN HEIR ACCORDING TO THE PROMISE. CHRIST IS AT THE CENTER OF ALL THAT GOD IS DOING IN THE WORLD AND ALL THAT GOD WANTS TO DO FOR THE WORLD. And so living by faith is not about the promises that you make to Jesus. Having assurance of your faith is not shaken by your inability to keep your promises. Anybody weary here today because you've failed to keep your promises to one another and to Jesus over and over and over? The good news of the gospel is that God made a promise to you, not that you made a promise to him. This is is actually one of my favorite rooms in the world. If I could have like five rooms to spend the rest of my life in, this would be one of them. I've gotten to spend 15 years basically in this building and literally right here, that has been an altar for me for over a decade. And I have made countless promises to Jesus right there that I failed to keep. But every time I come into this room, I'm reminded of the the promise that God made to me that he will never forsake. And I'm encouraged, and I'm strengthened, and I'm renewed once again. Jesus made you a promise. Wrap your heads around that this morning. God, who never lies, who's all-powerful and all-knowing, if you are in Christ, He made you a promise. Forgiveness of sins. The gift of His Spirit, who will never leave you, eternal life with Him. There's a, I'm currently working with two young couples going through uh, marriage counseling, and I've been shut. we're working through love right now, talking about the cheap love of the world and the real love that we receive from the Lord, that we can love one another with, and we're talking about how you know in this life you hear this you hear this often from married couples. Who are struggling, and sometimes for very, very good reasons, you hear this term, I just don't love them anymore. I'm falling out of love with them. Uh, and it's a total misunderstanding of love, in case you're wondering. What they're talking about is, I, you know, maybe I find other people more attractive now. Or I'm less attracted to you than I used to be. Or maybe I have more fun with my friends than I have with you, my spouse. Or... You know, maybe I don't trust you as much as I used to, or you've, you've hurt me too bad. And so there's this ebb and flow of the brokenness of this world where our feelings are based on how I feel towards you and how you're serving me or how you, you know, act towards me. And it's just this shallow, cheap love. And, you know, if you think back to our, the covenant we made, our vows, we said things like for richer or poorer, right, Abigail? <laughs> yeah. Good times and bad times. Sickness and in health. So there's this interview that I've been showing these young couples between Tim Keller and John Piper. And Tim Keller says, my wife has been married to five different men and they're all me. He says, the point is I've changed, I change. And one of the things that we recognize is that there are periods in our lives where we kind of go through this ebb and flow of, I love you, I like you, I want to be with you, I don't want to be with you, you're cute, you're disgusting. (laughs) But Tim says, but we made a promise. It's not easy. Sometimes, you know, I rub Abby the wrong way, as hard as that may be to believe. So even this last week, I'm like, we just need to get in the habit of kind of looking at each other and being like, the promise. We made a promise. Tim says at the end of that interview, I made an appointment with my wife in the future. In Christ, because marriage is just a picture of Jesus and his church. Hear Jesus say, Brother and sister, child, my child, I've made an appointment with you in the future. And I'm gonna personally see to it that I'm the one who brings you there. And I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm gonna watch over you. I'm gonna guide you. I know the rules. I'll instruct your heart. I'll write it on your heart. I'll keep you from harm. I'll protect you from those who would seek to remove you from my blessing and my promise. I won't even let you walk away from me. I've made an appointment with you in the future. I've made a promise to you. It's based on my faithfulness, not the measure of your faith. Friends, I say hallelujah to that today. Let's bow our heads.